So we are continuing this series that, uh, that we've been doing through all summer as we're going through the Gospel of John chapter by chapter. And last week we started this kind of sub-series of these last four chapters that we're going to cover um, and titled The Words Are Read because John 14, 15, 16, and 17 are, um, are mostly red letters. Now in, in many Bibles, or if it's a red letter edition Bible, um, it, whenever Jesus speaks, it prints those words in red. Um, just that obviously it's, it's important, right? We know when Jesus speaks, we want to pay special attention to those words, right? And so again, those, those red letter edition Bibles highlight that for us and we can recognize that right away. Now, again, it's the same text of your Bible. It's not a red letter edition. It's still exactly the same verses, but it's just, it's all printed in black. But, but yet these, when we realize that these last four chapters, which cover just even the last hours of Jesus' earthly life before he goes to the cross, um, Jesus teaches some very important and hard-hitting lessons in these chapters. Right? You just imagine, again, these, these last moments of his life, these last hours, these times when he's with his disciples and, and teaching these, these most important lessons. Right? The ones that we need to know and, and live out right? to, to truly follow his will and to be a, a Jesus follower. And, and, and it's just as relevant to us today as it was to them when Jesus originally taught it. Again, as we move into John 15, this, this is really just a continuation of what Jesus started last week in John 14. As he taught on the Trinity and the roles of the different, of the different aspects of God from the Father and in the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and today we see Jesus kind of continue on with that teaching. Now, last week was a lot of, of just content. Jesus was laying the foundation of the concept of the Trinity and the different roles of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now this, this week in chapter 15, Jesus moves on to some very practical advice. He, he laid the foundation last week, and, and now he, he puts on the next layer of, of, this, of this building, if you will. Right, of now, now that you know this and you understand the, the relationship between the Trinity and how it's all manifested, now you apply that knowledge and live it out this way. And that's what he gives us in chapter 15, is, is the, the practical application and how you live it out. Now, also here in John 15, uh, as we've been following throughout the summer, we've been highlighting these I am statements that Jesus makes uh, in the Gospel of John. And there are seven of them that he makes throughout, throughout the gospel. And in 15, Jesus makes the seventh and final I am statement. Hey, we saw kind of it all culminated in John 14 last week. It was in the biggest, most boldest I am statement of all of them when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? And they all culminated there. And, and now, now Jesus, again, um, gives us in this final I am statement our, our practical advice of how do we live out the truth out of the John 14 one. And, and so Jesus' I am statement here in John 15 is he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So we're going to jump right into that teaching. Again, this is a pretty famous teaching, but again, I think um, oftentimes we read Scripture so many times, especially these, these popular um, famous passages like the vine and the branches, we often read them in, in just in those 
isolated passages, but yet when we link it back together and see what John is doing all together and how it builds on top of 14, it, it might open up our eyes a little more. So even if this is very familiar to you, I encourage you to read it this morning uh, with fresh eyes. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me um, to John 15. Uh, we're going to uh, read the first few verses and so if you don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use if you're here with us in person. Um, if you're worshiping with us online, grab your phone, grab your Bible, open up to John 15. And we're going to start with verse 1, um, where Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message that I have given you. So remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. Okay, so we're going to pause right there as we um, look at this first section as Jesus introduces this 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 practical illustration of a vine and branches and, and producing fruit in our lives. And, and, and Jesus, again, establishes this first concept, right, of, of, of this teaching, and that is that if, if you are a Jesus follower, right, then you are supposed to produce fruit. There's supposed to be production of your faith. Right? If you commit to follow Jesus, if you, if you understand the, the Trinity and the roles of the Father and of the Son, if Jesus really is the way, the truth, and life, he's the way back to the Father, right? and he is the way to salvation. If you buy into all of that, then you receive the Holy Spirit as, you know, as to live within your life when you receive Christ as your Savior. And again, the advocate is poured out on you and the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. And now you have his presence. And Jesus says, but just having his presence is not where it ends. That's where it starts. Right? That's where the journey starts. That's where our faith journey starts, is receiving Christ as our Savior. And now once we have him as our Savior, we are committed followers of Jesus. We have the power of the Holy Spirit at our fingertips and, and within our lives, which we saw last week in John 14. And now Jesus says, use that power to produce something. Right? And, and there's, there's many things, again, that our life should be producing. When we, we, when we use this idea of fruit, right, there, there's all kinds of fruit in our lives. We, we can look at Galatians 5 at the fruits of the Spirit, right, meaning that, that our, our own hearts are going to be transformed and changed, and, and our lives will produce different things than they produced before we were followers of Jesus. Right, those, those fruits of that Spirit come out in, like, in faithfulness, right, and uh, you know, mercy. And just, again, you can go through all of those, those fruits of the Spirit. And, and that, that's our own faith growing and changing and transforming within our own lives. Right? As our faith grows, it produces different fruit in our own hearts. But not only does, does our own faith grow in our journey, but then also part of that fruit is supposed to be how we affect other people. 
and help them find Jesus as well. You see, in John 15, verse 5, okay, Jesus says, Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, Jesus is, is again, giving us the practical application of, of the core of the gospel, right? The core of the gospel, right, is that we can't do anything without Jesus. We cannot save ourselves, right? But now once we are saved and we've joined the journey of faith, now he says, now your life will produce fruit. Oh, and by the way, you can't produce the fruit that I want in your life without me either, right? This is an ongoing relationship. You need to remain in me. The branches have to be connected to the vine or else they die. And they won't produce anything. Right, as James puts it, right, a faith without works is dead. Again, this is a concept that is spread all throughout the biblical writers. And here Jesus teaches us that concept. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have to remain here. It's an ongoing relationship with Jesus, right? You, it's not a just pray the prayer and move on with my life. It's a, it's a I join the journey and I journey every day. I remain in, connected to the vine. Right? And, and the more I am connected to the vine, the more fruit I will produce. Again, I encourage you to underline the phrase, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Because we, we have to continue to be connected to Jesus. You cannot produce fruit without Jesus. As we think about this concept, right, that Jesus is teaching the disciples, it seems a little ironic in the fact that, that this, this teaching he gives, like, you have to be connected to me, and, and yet he's already told them, but yet I'm leaving in a few hours, and you can't go with me, right? I'm going to a place you cannot go. Right, but, but we understand that he's not talking physically here, right? He's talking about spiritually and emotionally connected to Jesus. Because the truth of the gospel is we cannot save ourselves. We cannot do anything without Jesus. We cannot save ourselves, and we also cannot grow in our faith without God's help. As many of you know, I'm a pretty avid golfer, and there, there's, a, just, there's this funny picture that, that was kind of floating around you know, on the internet, and it's like when the guy's standing in the trees, right, and he's over his ball, and he's like, I got a window, I can make the green, right? And, and, but the caption is, if you could make that shot, you wouldn't be here. Right? And, and when we're really thinking about that idea, right, if you were really that good of a golfer to make that, that one in a million shot, you wouldn't be in the trees in the first place, right? But again, the spiritual concept is tr- also true, right? Is if you could get there without Jesus, then you wouldn't need Jesus to grow your faith, right? But the fact you can't get, Save yourself, which means you also need Jesus to continue to grow in your faith. Right? And, and as, as we think about this concept, and we, we understand we cannot save ourselves. And again, and then Jesus points out in verse 3, right, that the, the pruning and the purification process has already started within the disciples. It's already started within us, right? The, and that is where the Holy Spirit's already pursuing you, right? Already, already showing you even the fact that you need a Savior, and so, again, the spiritual journey starts even before you accept Christ as your Savior, right? When you are pursued by God. 
right? And your eyes are open to the fact that you need a savior. But yet once you join the journey of faith, then that journey again starts and continues to grow. And the truth is that we cannot get through it without Jesus. As we see, again, and we've already kind of highlighted as we're leading up to this, is that, that Judas and Peter are, are both about to prove this concept, right? The fact that without Jesus, when they deny him and they walk away and, and do that, is that they can't accomplish anything on their own. Right? And, and they see that. Now, again, the, the, difference, the biggest difference between Judas and Peter is that, that Peter gets reconnected to the vine. Right? And Judas doesn't make it to Sunday, and he never does. And so yet we understand that this, this pruning, this purification process is something that we need to, to welcome into our lives. And, and which again is where Peter later in one of his letters you know, says that I, I welcome persecution with pure joy. And you think, how on earth could I do that? Well, because it means I'm being pruned. It means that the Holy Spirit is working in my life, and, and he's taking me somewhere new. I'm going to produce more fruit than I did before if I make it through the pruning. Is it painful? Is it hard? Absolutely. But yet, how can I find joy in that? It's because I know where God's taking me. Right, this leads us to this, this next concept, again, that we need to understand and kind of take to heart, and that is that as a Jesus follower, you will be pruned. There will be things in your life that God needs to cut out. Right? There will be things in your life that will come up that are hard, right? that, that even cause pain. Right, but know that, that, again, as Jesus establishes, the Father is the farmer. He is the one that prudes. He And by his wisdom, he's only removing things that are going to improve your life and improve your faith. Because what's the motivation of the farmer? Right, It's to take those vines that are producing fruit and to make them produce more. For them to be healthier. Right? And, and again, how do we get through that struggle of being pruned? Well, it's knowing whether the destination is worth it. So you see in John 15, again, verses 1 and 2, and when Jesus just starts off, he says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that bear fruit, so they will produce even more. I would tell you the fact that you're still breathing, right, means that God has more plans for you on this earth. Okay, and, and the more plans is that you will produce more fruit than you're producing right now. Because that's, again, the motivation of the farmer, the motivation of the, of the father, right, is that your life will produce more fruit every year as you grow in your faith. Right? And when you're done producing fruit is when your, your earthly journey is over and you're standing in front of your Savior to start your heavenly journey. Right? We cannot be satisfied or complacent with where our lives are or where our faith is or where our journey is right now. Right? Because God has more planned. More fruit. Much fruit. Right? Healthier branches is God's will for you. You will produce even more. Notice who's doing the judging, who decides what has to be pruned 
or chiseled out of your life. It is the Father. Again, remember last week, he is the authority. Right? And then we see again, it is through Jesus, right? We're access to that because Jesus is the way, right? The access back to the Father. And so as we see these, these two foundational truths, right, that Jesus teaches that, that as a follower of Jesus, I, I am supposed to produce fruit and, and that I will continually be pruned to produce more and more fruit to continue to grow in my faith. Then that leads us to this, this obvious question. What fruit is my life producing? Now this is a very simple question, right? But also a very humbling one, right? And also a question that, can be hard to admit the truth of. And again, the, the truth is we can fool ourselves, we can even fool other Christians about what our life is producing, but we can't fool the Father. Right? Because the Father is also in charge of the harvest. And in fact, Jesus, in another passage, tells us that, right? That he's the Lord of the harvest. And the Father is taking account of what our lives are producing. And, and, and as any farmer would do, if a tree or a vine is underproducing, then they figure out how to make it produce. Right? And if your life is underproducing, then God will prune you more. Or fertilize you more, right? Or, or to make you healthier so you will produce more. What fruit are you producing? Okay, John, again, wrote um, kind of some follow-up letters to his gospel. And in 1 John 15, 8, same John, same author, but, but he builds on top of this concept when he says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and this brings great glory to the Father. Again, as he's quoting in 1 John 15.8. We understand, again, that every life produces something. Every life, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, produces something. So what is your life actually producing? And whatever your life is producing, what, what does it bring glory to? For most people in our world, right, what their life produces is not godly, right, and it brings glory to themselves. So what is your life producing and who does it bring glory to? Does it bring glory to the Father or does it bring glory to, to myself? See, we get it. We're, we're supposed to remain in Jesus. Right? And we're supposed to produce much fruit. But, but again, where's the practical advice? I mean, we, you know, I, I told you that was coming. Well, here it's coming. Okay, we understand the concept. And then, then, then in the following verses, Jesus goes in to how do we practically live this out. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse 9. John 15, verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And this is my commandment. Love 
each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Here comes the practical advice. Again, how do I, how do I actually remain in Jesus and produce fruit in my life? Right, what does that practically look like? Jesus gives us the equation here in these verses. Okay, the first step, right, to practically live out this teaching is to obey Jesus' commands. Right, he says, don't just listen. Right, don't just, oh, that, that was great teaching, Jesus. Right, don't just show up on Sunday and acknowledge in your heart, like, great sermon, and then just walk away. Obey. Live it out. I mean, we get filled with God's power and presence on Sunday so that we can live it out on Monday through Saturday. Right? We have to obey. We have to do it. We have to follow through. We have to back up our words with actions. Obey Jesus' commands. That's the first step. Right? And, and, and of how do you practically live this out? I, I, need, to, I need to live it out. And, and then the, the second part of the equation, right, is that we obey these commands, but then we also need to be motivated by love. Right? The same motivation that, that Jesus lived on, right, was the love from the Father. Again, we, if we do the things that Jesus says, as we, we're motivated by love, Right, just as Jesus says, right, we, we become a, then a conduit, right, a, a, a passing through of God's love. We receive his love, and that love passes through us, you know, towards others. Right, and the more we live that out, then he says the end result is joy. The end result, if we live this out, because obeying Jesus' commands plus being motivated by love equals joy. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus says, isn't it? And so the main fruit of our life is going to be joy. Again, as a Jesus follower that is living out your faith, you should stand out from the world. Your life should look different. One of the main ways it should look different is you should have a different outlook than the rest of the world. You should have joy. And again, joy is very different than happiness. But happiness is circumstantial. Good things happen, I'm happy. Bad things happen, I'm sad. Joy is very different. Right? In fact, again, as Peter says, he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. It's not circumstantial. Right? Because the source of it is not what's happening to me. The source of it is the love of the Father. And the presence of the Holy Spirit. Right? Joy comes from the presence of God. Now, I'm sure you've probably noticed, you might have even noticed it in your own life, right? That, that our world is full of grumpy people. And if you are truly living a joyful life, even no matter what happens to you, then you will stand out. You will be different. People will notice, especially right now, right? Because it seems that, 
that grumpy is the standard of our world right now. Again, we have lots of grumpy people in our world. Right? We, we see it all over. In fact, you know, it's, it's so prominent, right? One of the dwarfs is named Grumpy. Right, but again, not, not just grumpy. We see, I mean, we see it everywhere in life, right? We see it in our pets, right? We have Grumpy Kitty. Okay, we have Grumpy Dog, right? Like just nothing is right, right? We even have Grumpy Kids, especially when it's picture day, right? Grump, grumpy about being having my picture taken. Okay, again, we, I mean, we, we can even see it in our food sometimes, right? We even have grumpy cookies. I mean, how can a cookie be grumpy? Right, but yeah, we see it happen, and, and I think you might, I, you know, we even have grumpy mask wearers, right? Again, I can neither confirm nor deny whether me and my son are smiling under those masks or not, right? You, you can fill in. This is from our trip, the other, on this man trip, right? We were there, we had to wear masks. Hey, but again, I, I know you've seen a grumpy mask wearer or non-mask wearer. Hey, hey, you see, we have, this is all around us, right? In fact, uh, uh, we even have songs about grumpiness, right? If you're happy, you know it. I don't care. Grumpy is all around us. You know, one of the fruits, right, that will be produced in your life if you are truly living your faith with a motivation of love, right, is that you will be joyful no matter what happens. How joyful are you? Again, no one looks at a grumpy person and thinks, man, I want to be like that person. Nobody looks at a grumpy person and says, boy, I wonder what's in their life that I should copy or emulate. Right? But, but people do look at someone who's filled with joy, and those are exactly the thoughts they have. Man, what's different about them? And they're facing all kinds of hard stuff, but yet they're, they're not letting it get to them. They're, they're pressing on. They're, they're fighting back. They're, they're getting ahead. I think I need to figure out what that person's motivation of life is. And that's when we say, right, yeah, my motivation is Jesus. My joy doesn't come from my circumstances. It comes, it comes from God because, because he loves me. And no matter how many hard things I face in life, that does not change. God still loves me. Even when I'm being pruned. I know that his motivation is love and to make me healthier and to produce more fruit in my life. Again, and ultimately, right, God showed us what love is when, when the word became flesh. Right, and died on a cross and rose again on the third day to, to become the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what real love is. And, and when I feel that love, then that love can pass through me onto other people. Right? Which is, which is exactly kind of the middle of the concept, right? Jesus says that the number one way you live this out is you lay down your life for other people. Follow the example of Jesus. You know, 1 John 3.16, he says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave us his life for us. And so we also ought to give up our lives 
for our brothers and sisters. Again, our motivation in life as a follower of Jesus, when we live out his commands as we're motivated by love, our motivation in life is no longer selfish. The motivation of the sinful nature is selfish. And the motivation of evil is selfish. Again, Jesus already taught us this in John 10.10, right? The, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is a selfish motivation of the thief. Right, but... Again, that same concept, the opposite end of that concept that that John's already taught us, that Jesus taught us, right, is that that he comes to give us life and life abundant. A life full of joy. A life full of love. A life that is unselfish. Again, how do we love God back? We obey his commandments. Right? And we also love others. I think Jesus said that somewhere else, didn't he? Matthew 22, the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, these are, these are not new concepts. But in these last hours of Jesus' life, he knows how important they are. And he's taking that time to reiterate them in a whole different direction and teaching and saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. These are concepts, right, that are at the very core of our faith. And then Jesus continues on with these, these practical teaching, verses 14 through 17. John 15, picking up verse 14, he says, And and you you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command. Love each other. Again, there's so much there, right? There's the, the, but the fact is, is that Jesus says, right, he pursued us, right? We didn't choose him. He chose us. Hey, notice, again, the fruit that others are going to produce is going to be lasting fruit, right? It's, it's going to go way beyond this world. Hey, but also, as Jesus points out the fact, right, that our identity will change. When we truly follow him. Right, did you catch that? He says, you are no longer slaves. You are now children. Your identity changes. From God's creation to God's child. When you receive Christ as your savior. Right, and when, when the core of who I am changes, when my identity changes, then therefore, so does my motivations, right? Because I have very different motivations as God's child than I would have as a slave to sin. Again, my, what's, again, my motivation and my sinful nature is selfish, and my motivation as God's child is loving. Loving back to God and loving other people in front of myself. 
Again, we, and when Jesus says, right, this, this is a concept, we, we read this, it almost, it almost feels like a blank check when, when Jesus says, and he said it a couple times already in this passage, right, that you can ask for anything you want, and I will give it to you. Now, I don't know about you, but I've tested this theory before. Right, now, again, so, now, I, I didn't get everything that I asked for. Now, does that mean that Jesus is a liar? No, it means that my motivations were not right, right? That that what I was asking for was coming out of my sinful motivation, not my child, God's child motivation. Again, if God said yes to everything I asked for, then he'd have to do a whole lot more pruning in my life, wouldn't he? Because the truth is when when you're truly living into our identity, everything that we ask for, right, will be within God's will. And we'll be, you know, loving and motivation and, and focused on others, not on myself. And, and that's when you ask for anything and God will give it to you. Right? Because the Father is still the ultimate authority and the, God, the Father still loves us. And he's not going to give me things that are going to push me backwards in my journey or make me stuck. So Jesus is not a liar, right? He's just saying what he's telling us in that context. The first part of that concept is you ask based out of my new identity as a follower of Jesus. And then, then when I ask, anything I ask, right, will be given. When it's given in the heart of God and his will for my life. And then we move into this, this final section. Okay, this, this final section of scripture, and that is um, uh, verses uh, five, 15, 18 through 16, 3. And, and this is, again, moved a little bit into, um, you know, into the next chapter, but it's, it's the natural break. And this is here, Jesus tells us the truth. Is that following him won't always be pleasant and joyful. But yet I can still find joy, right, even in the midst of persecution. I think Jesus has already covered that. Right, but we become guilty by association because when we are with Jesus, right, then we are, again, identified to be followers of Jesus. And, and then the world treats us the same way they treated him. Right, that's exactly what Jesus says in these following verses. Hey, the world hated me first. And when you become identified with me, guess what? They will also hate you. So don't be surprised. Right, he tells us the truth up front. Yeah, the walk, a truly walking a life of faith and journey forward every day, being more like Christ tomorrow than I am today, is not always going to be pleasant. But it's worth it. Because it produces lasting fruit. Like as he says in verse 19, he says, The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer a part of the world. And I chose you to come out of the world. The world is no longer our home. Heaven is our home. God's unhindered presence is where we belong. And now we are foreigners. And so it hates you. And as, as we think about this concept, right, this just reiterates the fact that our identity has truly changed. And this is a hard reality. If you are a follower of Jesus and your life makes sense to the world, then something's wrong. 
If your life makes sense to a non-believer, then something is wrong. And you're not living out his commands. And you're not motivated by love. Right? You're not following through the way that God needs you to follow through. Because if you do, right, the world will not understand. And they will react the way that we all react when we don't understand. I know Jesus uses through this concept, he talks a lot about they, and he uses the all-inclusive they about the world, right? And, but, but again, but also in that, Jesus tells the truth about that we will be held accountable according to our knowledge, Okay, in, in verse, verse 22, okay, Jesus says, They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Again, the concept is like, hey, they would be better off if they never heard the message of the gospel. Right? Because, but now they've heard. Now they will be held accountable according to their knowledge. Now they're far worse off. In fact, this, this, again, is not a new concept either. I mean, we see this concept all throughout Scripture. And again, once, and he tells the disciples then, right, and we need to understand that now is that once Jesus is gone, again, they will carry out this hatred towards those who follow and profess Jesus. The same hatred that sent Jesus to the cross, right, gets pushed on us. Obviously, this, there, were, there were specific things and implications that Jesus gave for the apostles because they all ended up dying for their faith. But it's also a warning for us. And Jesus continues that warning in chapter 16, right, which we obviously will get to next week because we don't have time to go into it today. Hey, but as, as Jesus continues this into next week, right, we, we understand and see, and he continues to do it next week as well, that it all ties back to the Trinity. Okay, which is exactly what Jesus does here in this very last section, 26 through 3. Jesus reiterates to them, it's like, hey, I understand this is a hard thing, right, but you're not doing it alone because the Holy Spirit will be poured out on you. Right? And, and I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Right? And he reiterates that teaching again at the end of this chapter. And that leads to my final thought this morning, and that is this. If we follow Jesus' commands, the Trinity is active in our lives every day and will produce fruit. So what is your life producing? Is it producing fruit? How is the Father pruning you to produce more fruit? Right? And remember, right, vines, I mean, come in seasons. Right? And the Father knows that. What, what season is your life in? What, what fruit should be coming out of this season of your life? Right? What's the next season going to look like? What's the next thing that is being pruned? Right? What maybe do you need to be healed from? Right? Because being pruned leaves a wound. I don't know where your faith journey is. I don't know whether what season you're in. Maybe you're in a fruit season. Maybe you're in a pruning season. Maybe you're in a healing season. But whatever season you're in, I hope that, number one, you join the journey of faith. Receive Christ as your Savior. Start that journey. Right? Accept the pruning of the Father in your life. And then be ready so that you are ready for the next season 
right, and the much fruit that God wants to produce. Wherever you're at in your faith journey, be faithful to that season and take the next step. Obey his commands. Be motivated by love and find joy no matter what season you're in. God, we pray, God, that you would come in the room. God, we pray that you would come into our hearts. And God, that we would take you with us as we live out our faith this week. Lord, we pray that you would change us. God, continue to transform our hearts, continue to prune our lives. Lord, you are the Lord of the harvest. And you said the harvest is great. And Lord, help us to to be faithful to the season and to the role you have for me, for each of us as individuals, God. As we live out our faith, as we obey your commands, are motivated by your love, God, give us joy no matter what we face. Lord, as we go this week, I pray, Lord, that we would show this world what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Lord, through our everyday lives and our actions and our attitudes and our motivation, Lord, guide us as we go this week. Lord, to live out our faith. Thank you for never leaving us, Lord, for being with us every step of the way. We praise you for that today. God, continue your work in our lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.